you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Well, I'm Moses Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. My voice is going to cut that end piece that everyone seems to love. Anyway, guys, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to go to youtube.com, Fortress Chris Voss, all our groups on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, all the places you know, and goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Voss. You can see my books, The Beacon Leadership, and other ones there. And also go see the LinkedIn group newsletter and the big 131,000 LinkedIn group. That thing is freaking huge and just keeps growing over there. LinkedIn. If you're not over there, it's really becoming a thing these days. It's quite amazing. Anyway, guys, we have an amazing woman on the show. She is the CEO, founder, and creative director of a company called the Malia Collection. Her name is Constantina Malia, and she's on the show to us, with us today, to us and with us today, to talk about what she does, how she does it, and how she founded and built her company. Welcome to the show, Constantina. How are you? I'm fine, Chris. Nice to be on the show. Thanks for having me. There you go. So uh, give us a rundown. Tell a little bit about, let's, uh, excuse me, let's start with your plugs first. Tell us your dot coms, where people would find you and look you up on the interwebs. Sure. I agree with you that LinkedIn is an amazing platform. I'm pretty visible there. Instagram as well. Constantina Malia on LinkedIn, Malia Collection on Instagram and Facebook. My website is www.maliacollection.com. I'm known in the industry, in the jewelry industry or the luxury industry as a fine jewelry designer. I think as a creative person, you kind of wear a bunch of hats and people stick you in a box that they can identify easily. <laughs> Isn't it funny how that works? Yeah. So give us, give us, let's start with your, your humble beginnings, how you came up through the ranks of life and childhood and stuff like that. You have a Greek history, I believe, in your background? Yeah, I was actually born in Vancouver, BC. My parents mm-hmm. were both Greek immigrants, so would have been native if I wasn't born on another continent. I was a prep school kid, which gave me a re- really amazing foundation educationally. And then went to school at the University of Arizona, was an English major, double honors, decided I did not want to be a professor. And so I went to the entrepreneurship program and launched my company. Wow. That's pretty amazing. So how long have you been doing this? 16 years now. Wow. 16 years. That's pretty much. And do you, do you, do you only work? I think it was 16. 16? Did I say 16? <laughs> yeah, not 16. No. The uh, 16, you know, you got time. <laughs> yeah, we hope so. Uh, there you go. There you go. Uh, so what 16 years, you work mostly with, who are your clients? Who are the people well, that you work with Well, my first client was Saks Fifth Some of the best retailers in North America, which would be Stanley Korshak in Dallas with my men's collection. I think Escort Magazine rates them number one every year after year. A bunch of retailers. And then I was about 10 years ago. I was showing in Paris and was at the Musée des Arts Décoratifs as well with one of my collections and decided I would rather deal with my clients directly and I would rather have them have that relationship with me than the retailers. Now it's pretty much just direct to consumer. Oh, wow. So people contact you through your website and they ask to have you create a piece of art for them? Is that How does the work pretty much. go for So you? I kind of write on the cusp because my pieces in the gold collection are one of a kind and signed by me. They are mm. considered art. Wow. Um, it was interesting because I was at a lecture with a professor from Yale University a couple of weeks ago here at Freeze in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And he was 
giving statistics on the art industry and who are the players and how people make it. And he's actually written a book on how to Magnus Resch, Professor Magnus Resch, on how to make a business out of being an artist. But I think when I was at the inter- in the entrepreneurship program at the U of A, they saw that in me. It was very easy for me to create the product. And it was also very easy for me to figure out the marketing, the, the, the business structure of it. So they actually asked me to launch a program for them that would integrate creative art and business when I graduated. And I decided to do Malia Collection instead. Tucson is actually <laughs> home to the largest. Yeah. Tucson's home actually to the largest gem show in the world every year. Oh, wow. And so I had this incredible audience coming to me and I didn't have to move a finger. So that's how I started. Now you stayed in your, uh, you stayed in uh, about your work. And I'm taking this off of one of your pages it, uh, on your work. It should last for lifetimes. My background right. in luxury has always been about conscientious, conscientious conservatism in consumerism. Yeah. Tell us what that means. What does that mean to you? And what does it mean to people who buy your art? I think in a nutshell it means to me, buy as little as possible and buy the best you can afford and have oh. it last for generations. If we all spent our hard-earned money in that mindset, and I'm not talking just as a luxury product, we would have a very different ecological situation right now. We're we're being taught to just buy more and more, and that the more you buy, the more gratified you buy, you're going to be. And I think that's a very self-defeating purpose. Because when you buy something that's meaningful and beautifully crafted, and using artisans who are really disappearing from the plant because they don't have enough work anymore. You're investing in ourselves. You're investing yourself and ourselves as a community on a multitude of levels. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is conservatism. That is being conscious, thoughtful about what you buy. Why do you want it? How are you going to use it? How long are you going to use it for? And who's behind it? Who are the artisans? Who are the owners of the company? Most of them are a board of directors now. And so there isn't that personal value system built into everything. I really believe in that. When I first started buying furniture for myself, I wanted to buy furniture that would last a lifetime. I bought a lot of Henry Rendon. I bought a lot of Bernhardt. I spent a lot right. of money for it. But uh, I've had it for 30 years, 30, yeah, 20 or 30 years now. Good for um, you. And it's still... Almost as nice. I mean, it's gone yeah. through a couple moves, which you get your dings in there. But that stuff has been such a bulwark, maybe is the right word. Yeah. I mean, it's survived moves. It survived storage. Uh, it survived a lot of different things that I've done with my life. And it still looks as beautiful this day. Yeah. And I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to buy Ikea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fact, I mean, I, Ikea's going to end up in a landfill, and it's so counterproductive. There you go. Oh. You don't use it in the same way. You don't respect it in the same way. When you know something's being perfectly crafted by somebody who's put all of their best work into it, you certainly have a different respect for it, don't you? You do. You value it a whole lot more. It survives moves a whole lot more, too. I recently moved to my storage unit, uh, one of my storage units that I had uh, from my house in Las Vegas. And to a cheap, I bought some Ikea tables to go underneath the thing to hold some stereo system under a desk. And they didn't survive the move. Those things broke in about five freaking seconds in the truck. All my other expensive furniture and everything else, my chairs, I had a lot of it custom made or custom uh, featured. And yeah, I agree with you. I think people do need to realize, hey, buying a lot of junk that ends up in a landfill and ends up trashing stuff up. So tell us about... It's also a reflection on yourself, like, because if you respect Mm -hmm. yourself, you respect what you invest in. It's all reflective, right? That's Um, a good point. It's an investment. It's like eating good food and eating junk food. 
And I've been guilty of eating both, so I'm not <laughs> yes. trying to eat good food. So tell us what sort of art pieces do you do? I see a, a variety on your website, but what are some of the different things you do? Is it mostly for women or do you do both men and women? No, I did for men too. It's just, I only have so much bandwidth right now. And so I had to make a decision. Stanley Korshak was an amazing anchor, the men's collection, incredible sales team and support system. But otherwise it's on me and that's just finding more retail accounts. My, my men collectors are extremely loyal. I find it actually easier to work with my men clients it's kind of like, here's my credit card. Uh, you know what I like. Just send it to me kind of mm. thing, right? Wow. Whereas with women, there's definitely more of a process. When I started a company, it was intended to be a lifestyle brand. And that's why I say I'm a creative director. Not what you can see now, but definitely when I'm out in public, I'm always wearing my own fashion designs as well. And I found that's actually my best marketing tool too, because indelibly people will react to how I'm dressed. It's very different, but classic at the same time and very feminine, but elegant. So that sort of starts a conversation. Then they notice the jewelry. And But when I said I design furniture and do interiors, you kind of need to be carrying around the lookbook, right? It's, it's harder to visualize. Whereas as the walking brand, it's much easier to introduce who I am and what I do. And I'm looking at some of your different artwork, bracelets, rings, I believe necklaces or pendants. Right. Yeah, these are really beautiful. Do you do the hand work on these? Because no. it looks like there's a lot of work that goes yeah. into the, the, the labor. The people that make my work have trained since they were teenagers, and they're mostly in their 60s now. So they're also a giant breed. Some of them that started with me when I was just out of school, they've had strokes or they've had health issues. They don't do the work anymore, and there's really nobody to replace them. Wow. So it's always it's a constant effort to find the people who are trained appropriately who can do this level of work. Because even a goldsmith, when they look at my pieces, they're like, they're intimidated. Not very many of them are trained to do this kind of work. Yeah. It looks really intricate, like a lot of yeah. stuff went into it. They're very beautiful. The colors are amazing. Uh, this is a really pretty piece, this Damon. I'm known I as a colorist, ring. too. Like I mm -hmm. like really unusual color combinations. And if you look at dozens and dozens of jewelry cases, as I have over the years, one thing that people in the industry will say is my work doesn't look like anybody else's. It really stands out, even if you're in the middle of Saks Fifth Avenue, where my stuff is going to jump out at you because it is so different. There you go. Wrap bracelets, necklaces, lariats, gold couture, yes. earrings, charms, bracelets, pendants, necklaces. Yeah, this is really beautiful stuff. And the fine detail on it is what is what is amazing. I mean, this is something you're going to see when you go into one of these 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 box stores. Um, right. Yeah, it's really fine detail. And it looks well, like I it takes studied, a lot of work. I also studied symbolism at mm -hmm. a grad school level when I oh, was wow. in the English department. And so that carried over into all the jewelry. So all the details you say in the jewelry are actually hidden language. It's kind mm -hmm. of like hieroglyphics. When you see the laurel oh. leaf, it has a meaning. When you see the little gold balls, it has a meaning. So they're very karmic. And I would say alchemaic. It's very intentional, the story that I build in each piece. And it's all very positive. And it's supposed to be very universal because... Hieroglyphics, as we know, were in caves in Sudan, and they were in caves in Australia, and they were in caves in, you know, Siberia. It's really curious when you study symbolism, how many of them were exactly the same intention by people at diverse parts of the planet when there was no communication to mean the same thing. Wow. 
I mean, this the stuff is really beautiful. I was looking at this Damien, which I guess is sold out. It's a it's kind of a mask face surrounded yes, by I carved think... out of onyx in Germany for me. And yeah. again, there's one village in Germany on the planet that can do that kind of stone carving. Are all these on your website? Are these one of a kind pieces? There's not like a pretty much. There's mm-hmm. small, some of the smaller chains are not one of a kind. The neck pieces, the eye charms, the eye rings, the some of them are replicable. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, yes, they're one of a kind. Do you have any advice for artists or people that are, you know, in the business, like from a business sense, you know, because we do a yeah. lot of business. Yeah, and I've been years. asked to lecture at the university to the business mm-hmm. school. I've been asked to le- lecture to the fashion school. Mm-hmm. I've been asked to lecture to the art school because mm-hmm. as Magnus Retsch has made a career as a professor out of, it's very rare for an artist to actually make it. When I was listening to his lecture, I went up to Max afterwards and I said, according to you, I said, I'm not even an anomaly. I don't exist. According to your statistics, that's how few artists make it, and that's how few artists make it to be successful. Yeah. And so for me, it's because I think I grew up with a business family, and then I am I was actually in the child of immigrants. You had to be practical. My parents mm-hmm. didn't came with nothing, right? And so you watch them build a life, build a successful life. And I think that was more important even going to business school because that's hands-on, and so it's bred into your life experience. Don't be wasteful. For me, it's mm-hmm. very much part of also being ecological. Don't be wasteful. Mm-hmm. Use everything you have. And I started the business by myself with nothing. So it was definitely bootstrapping it. Greek families and families of Mediterranean origin, we began gold jewelry as we know it on the planet. That's where it began. And it became the currency from Crete that became traded around the basin because they figured out how to turn gold into these beautiful things that everything everybody wanted. It's kind of curious in a way that this is my own trajectory, right? So it's very traditional, even if you come from a very humble background, to give gold as a significant gift. When a baby's born, at a wedding, significant birthdays. And so, and that's because it has an inherent value that's never lost. That's part of it, right? You're truly giving a gift to your family member that's going to give them something to hold on to in tough times. When I started the business, I took every little piece I'd had from gifts and I melted them. That's how I made the first pieces of jewelry. So literally recycled it. In the history of our human, of humanity, the amount of gold that's being mined and used would fill two Olympic swimming pools. Holy crap. Yeah. That's how much we recycle it and recycle it. Wow. Yeah. It seems like there would be more, but I don't know. You would think, right? But it's yeah. quite impressive how far it goes. Yeah. So uh, what are uh, do you find that uh, people collect your stuff for just collections? I mean, normally they buy it, or do, is it stuff they gift away? Or No, my stuff is really not gifted. I wouldn't give it away I either. went to this really nice jewelry store in Scottsdale. Yeah. And this guy has multi-million dollar pieces. He caters a lot to sports, celebrities, and stuff like that. Uh, and so I took him some of my first pieces and he was impressed. I was still in school and he said, this stuff is amazing. I really appreciate and respect your work. But he says, I can't sell it. This was wow. 2004. Wow. And I said, why not? And he said, because my client is a very wealthy man who's buying jewelry for his wife, or his girlfriend, and he won't understand it. And I took that sort of as a challenge. And sure enough, by... By getting Saks Fifth Avenue as my collect as my first account, I was going direct to the woman. The people that walked into the jewelry department were all women shopping for themselves. And there was never 
oh, I have to ask my husband or I'm going to wait till it's my birthday or I'll ask for it for Christmas. That never, ever happened to me. And some of those people are still buying my jewelry today from the beginning. Wow, that's um, pretty freaking awesome. And the same thing with the men's collection. I think it's very unorthodox for me to have somebody say, I'm going to buy it for my husband. For the most part, 99% of the men buy the jewelry for themselves. So it's always been, this is something I want. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to please myself. I don't have to ask anybody. This is what I want. And this is who I am. Yeah. I've had one of the other things that I have that I've collected over the time is a leather from a fine leather maker of bags and stuff and briefcases and other things. And they literally have, I've seen the work that goes into them and they literally have a guarantee that like, you know, we guarantee it for a hundred years or however long you have it, that it won't break or mismanufacture and the quality of it is so good that people auction for it and bid for it online you can sometimes sell the pieces for more than what you paid for them yeah but they're so valuable and their worth is so rich you wouldn't sell them unless you i don't know you're really broke or something and i've had friends say we do a lot of reviews here on the Chris Voss show. So people send us all sorts of products, whether it's phone or I mean, you name it, we get it. Uh, equipment, bicycles, speakers, everything. And so, you know, sometimes I give some of it away, the cheap stuff away, but I keep all the nicest stuff for myself. Yeah. I'd be like, Hey Chris, can I have that product? I'm like, no, that's, that's the good stuff. That's the stuff I keep. I don't give that away. No. Yeah. So I know that feeling. What other things do we want to touch on your business and how you do it and how consumers can get a hold well, of I you? Well, I think that even, so the entrepreneurship program that I went to at the U of A was outranked Harvard and Wharton's at that time. We were really, they were really breaking ground in terms of teaching entrepreneurship. 75 of us were admitted to the program. And by Christmas, there was only 35 left. Of the 75 admitted, five were girls. Of the mm-hmm. 35 that graduated, all five girls. And out of the 35 of us that graduated, I would say very few of us actually created a business and are still making a living from the business we started. Maybe wow. five pretty, of us. That's pretty awesome. So the air gets pretty thin. And then the jewelry industry, I'd say there's very few of me. Every day I'm meeting jewelers and they're just like, you can't stop what you're doing. Nobody does what you do. Like it's a treasure. It's so unique and it's so special. Like. You have to keep going. Yeah. Um, so I'm really proud of those achievements. It's thin ground. And to be an entrepreneur and a female is also super tough. It isn't just the male sexism. It's female envy a lot of the time. Wow. A lot of women will not support you or be helpful. They're going to try and hold you back. Why do they do so, that? I think it's really antiquated belief system that women need to have a man for the most part. And so if they don't have male, the male admiration they want or the status in society as a wife or a girlfriend or whatever, they see somebody who's got more potential as threat rather than somebody you want to lift up and help succeed. Wow, that's it's unfortunate. unfortunate. And it's really yeah. weird because I went to a girl's school and they yeah. weren't like that in my girl's school. All of that was brand new after I went to university. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting how that whole thing works. I know that's a whole different subject. The, I know what my girlfriend's attitudes were sometimes with the people they work with. So what are not the things- to say that I don't have my supportive girlfriends. I do. That's all. The majority yeah. probably are not going to be your biggest backers. There you go. So uh, what else would people know and what's the best way to reach out to you and either ask you about doing work for them or I get a ton of people even DM. Yeah, I even get a people to DM me and buy straight from me, like literally buy a jacket I'm wearing off of me on Instagram. Oh, wow. Uh, message. Yeah, it's kind of, it's a real uh, testimonial to me that how much they trust me. Like, mm-hmm. here's my credit card and you're going to send me the jacket. Wow. Um, 
But yeah, that's one thing. And just my website, of course, LinkedIn, people message me all day long. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. So give us your plugs as we go out and where people can find you on the interwebs and order you. Really go to the website, go to Instagram, send me a message, take a look at all the beautiful things I've created because you're going to be inspired and I hope want to have one of them be a part of your life. So maliacollection.com. Constantina mm-hmm. Malia with a K and pretty much all the social media platforms, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, book, and my website. All right. Thank you very much for coming on. We really appreciate it, man. This is really amazing. And the artwork is so beautiful. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks for having me. There you go. And thanks so much for tuning in. Go to youtube.com for just Chris Voss at the bell notification button. Go to goodreads.com for just Chris Voss order at my book. Also go to all of our groups on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, Chris.